Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Wagon Wheel Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Kimber. On this show, we record weekly with questions from the audience. This podcast is funded by Patreon, which you can join by clicking a link in the show notes. And there are many other benefits, but one of which is to ask questions first on this show. Special guest today. And look, there's a question that's come up straight away here from uh, Swami Nathan, who says, Barrett's timekeeping is bordering on the unprofessional. I, I think that's unfair. I'd like to think that everything about you is bordering on the unprofessional, not that's just true. your timekeeping. And you, I, the other great thing about this is, of course, you're not even on the right podcast. You've missed Uncovered this week and you've just hijacked Wagon Wheel. Um, oh, uh, I, I, look, in, in my defense, I did log on to the uh, Uncovered link and I was waiting there for you for three minutes, wondering why I was early <laughs> and you weren't already there. <laughs> that was after you uh, forgot to download uh, the program that we needed for all this. But it's all good. Sure. He's here, everyone. We're okay. And I'm I'm in control of this. I'm going to press a button and see if this works. Oh, look at this. I'm moving us on the screen. Ooh. So everyone on YouTube, it's really exciting. And everyone listening to the podcast, it's not. Remember, you can ask questions anytime you want. Uh, uh, through Patreon, uh, sign up there and you get all your benefits. Or if you are in the YouTube uh, today, uh, the best way is probably just to do a super chat and we'll have a look at those at the end. But let us just start with the questions. Uh, Ian says, if Alistair Cook was 10 years younger heading to this year's Ashes, would he be Zach Crawley's opening partner or his replacement? Are there two Zach Crawleys in this? In uh, Sorry, two Alistair Cooks in this? Um, uh, scenario because I, I mean they need two openers right it's not yeah. a, a one-off thing is it and, and unfortunately Alistair Cook looks the same as he did 10 years ago so you can't even <laughs> say oh we'll have the older Alistair Cook look opening the batting with the younger looking Alistair Cook um, and in many ways Alistair look uh, Alistair look Alistair Cook uh, looks I don't know I, I'm, I'm this is not an I'm not passing judgments on what Zach Crawley looks like, but Alistair Cook actually looks younger than Zach Crawley, even though he <laughs> might be uh, seven or eight years older than him, I would assume. But, but he'd also... be way older than that, wouldn't he? He'd have to be like 12 or 13 years older, oh, yeah, wouldn't he? Exactly, yeah. But but it's, he's just ageless. Yeah, Alistair Cook just has that fresh face look that never goes away. When he retired, I think it was not long after that, we were on tour in the Caribbean and he was there for the BBC and I was there for TalkSport. Mm. 
and we were all using the same gym. In fact, it was the last time I, I can say this because Harley makes this joke all the time. It's the last time Steve Harmson ever used the gym. And after the mm -hmm. gym, was like, what am I doing? I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> but but Cookie was in the gym with us, and I was watching him compared to some of the other recently retired athletes. And you were thinking he doesn't really look recently retired. He looks mm. like he could go out now and you know bat for you know four days in Chennai if he had to. Um, a remarkable fit player. But yeah, I mean, I was. Uh, my memory of Alistair Cook was that very early on, key people in cricket thought he was going to be the next big thing. I don't, mm. I haven't really seen anyone say that about Zach Crawley. I remember Sean mm. Pollock coming into the pre, uh, the the um, commentary booth once and saying to me, "Why have England picked a guy who averages twenty eight in first class cricket to open the batting?" And then he saw him play and he goes, "Oh, okay, I get it now." Mm. And I think most of us kind of feel that right. That almost like the disconnect between the fact. Crawley's never made any runs, but he looks really good. Whereas Cook probably didn't look as good, but maybe was a little bit, well, looked like he could make runs, if that makes sense. Yeah, and you saw those, um, I think, two innings that stand out from Zach Crawley for me. One I watched on television, I think it was the Ahmedabad test when he made, what, 50 in, uh, in nearly felt like 10 minutes yep. because he kept hitting every ball for four. And then he got out. And then everybody else got out and the match was over in a day and a half. Uh, that inning stands out. And also, I think it was in Sydney. I, I You know how it is with us, right, Jared? You mm. remember matches that you weren't covering, but you don't remember matches that you were covering. So I, I'm going to stick my neck out and say it was a Sydney test when, uh, again, he hit a few boundaries uh, and then looked good and then got out. Um, so this is also when England were so unsure about their top order there. Asim Amid and Rory Burns opening and then Crawley came in mm. and it was all over the place. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, he does look really good. Uh, but th there are two types of really good-looking batters in cricket, right? One, the Rohit Sharma type who just are so easy on the eye. But also, they look easy on the eye even when they get out, mm. right? strangely. But with Zach Crawley, yes, he looks very good when uh, he plays those drives and he flicks the ball away. Uh, or even some of his other shots on the onside. But then he gets he gets squared up by the most random of deliveries and he starts flashing at deliveries which he doesn't have to. So he doesn't look very good when he gets out. I think which is what makes... Uh, and it's all about perception. It's all, mm. all about aesthetics cricket anyway as a sport. So I think it goes against Zach Crawley, just the way he gets out. So if anything, maybe if he works on getting out in a cleaner, in a, in a, in a neater fashion... Maybe people will start giving him a bit more time. Look, having said that, he's played, what, already 28 test matches? I don't think anyone who's ever averaged this low for a major test nation has ever had as much time as him. It's it's remarkable. But the interesting thing is that he looks so good because he can drive everything on the up, right? But yeah. he also goes out because he drives everything on the up, right? Exactly. So yeah. they picked him for this skill, which doesn't always translate. Yeah. I, I did I did though read a Wait, piece. I've changed questions, man. Look at the screen. Oh, sorry, we moved on from Zach Crowley. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> so I should keep. Uh, this is not a whole show about Zach Crowley. I forget. No, I, I'm although, a little rusty. I'm sorry. Yeah. One day we'll do that. Uh, Bloody Bugger says, uh, "Would you change the number of balls in an over?" I personally would prefer a longer over. So anyone, everyone I've ever talked to said that that played under six balls and eight balls seemed to suggest that eight balls was better. But I think the change to six balls was probably, uh, other than the fact it was done in some countries already, but I think in Australia, it was probably brought in for advertising as much as anything. I, I, I'm not sure if it was a direct Kerry Packer sort of thing, but it, 
it just makes more sense for advertising. I think from a cricket perspective, eight balls makes more sense. From a streaming perspective, from a from a, a cable TV cable TV perspective, maybe eight balls makes more sense. But free to air TV, definitely, mm. they probably just think that um, six balls makes more sense. And I can't imagine ever doing less than that because it would be a bit too stop and start. I mean, even the hundred is kind of ten balls in a row, right? It is, yeah. I think it also helps you with your multiplication tables, having um, six ball overs. And I'll, I'll give you an example of this. The other day, I had uh, my cousin and his family over, and we were actually watching the footy. Uh, this is like a few weeks back. And they were using the the footy scores to uh, kind of test their kids' uh, multiplication knowledge. They were like, oh, all right, why do you think that team has 37 points? So six into six plus one. And uh, uh, look, I, I think if you have watched cricket, if you followed cricket, if there's one number we know all the multiple multiplication tables for, it's, it's six mm. because it's that's how I really I, I aced math based on cricketing stats while growing up. Uh, but if, if whenever it was an odd number, I was lost because you know cricket doesn't do odd numbers too well if you think about it. I so, think I think most people in the southern parts of Australia especially most men are probably experts probably the first thing you learn as a young boy is your six times tables just mm. because you need to know the footy scores and you obviously you know in cricket it comes in quite handy as well so no i'm 100 percent with you i'm also very very good at geography thanks to the nba so people who yeah. say you can't learn anything from sport it's just not true <laughs> oh bullshit uh, Satchmo says, based on video footage, is it a miracle that nobody was killed when facing Jeff Thompson without a helmet on uneven surfaces in Australia in the mid-1970s? I don't think it was uneven surfaces. I think by that stage, pitches were pretty good. Mm. Um, who was the, there was a guy that Christian Ryan wrote about who had, did he have his eye detached, eyeball detached? Or was it his retina detached when he got hit? Um, I can't remember if it was the chip. Because if you lose, if you, I can't remember what this bone is. But whatever the bone mm. is just under the eye, if it comes out, <laughs> your eyeball pops out. And then there's another one, I think, when your retina gets detached. Um, so there were certainly uh, injuries like that that happened. But I think looking back on it, probably from what? Tyson all the way through to yeah. the West Indian bowlers all coming on. We're probably lucky that we didn't have a lot more deaths and and you know big injuries because there were certainly a lot of people play. Uh, you'll know about um, is it the West Indian batter Herbert Chang, whose uh, family um, believe that you know uh, he got hit on the head so many times facing the West Indians at home because I don't mm. I obviously didn't play them internationally that that caused him long term injuries. So there are certainly batters who uh, maybe have less obvious injuries, but certainly it's something that went on with them as well. Yeah, I mean, I remember uh, interview spending. Actually, I started off as an interview, but I ended up uh, being a, a whole day with Len Pasco. This is many years ago, and um, he told me about the Pasco Tomo ward in the local hospital when they were playing club cricket together, mm -hmm. and they would they would hit a lot of guys. Uh, and it was also a very strange start to the interview. I never met Lenny Pasco before that, so he invited me home, and the moment I walked into his really nice house by the by the by the water somewhere in sydney i don't know where now uh, from memory uh he had his laptop on his long dining table and the moment i walked in he just turned his laptop and he pressed play i'm, I'm not kidding this was like hey mate yeah come in and then the next thing he did was press play on his uh, laptop on youtube uh, there was a youtube link on and it was him hitting um mohinder amarnath uh, a few times and it 
oh no sandeep patel sorry sandeep patel on the head and i was like is he saying is he trying to say if i'm indian like that was the strangest welcome to anyone's house i've ever received but yeah i mean he did they did speak about hitting a lot of people when they were playing slightly junior level cricket but i think with jeff thompson i've always thought some some guys with odd bowling actions or you know bowling actions where you can't really pick where the ball is going like a shawn tate or a mm. jeff thompson um or a patrick patterson or one of i think those people are all end up being more dangerous right like it's it's yeah. those guys who hit more guys. and it's not always about how fast you bowl it's it's about the when you pick up the ball and uh, yes the surfaces have a lot to do with it i mean i'll still argue that even though people think jofra archer spelled to steve smith that launch was the most terrifying thing they've ever seen but the pitch had a lot to do with it the ball that hit steve smith didn't get up it wasn't mm. like the the snorter that hit him while he was standing up so yeah the uneven surfaces do lead to a lot of people getting hit uh but also odd bowling actions uh, where you don't know when the ball's being released uh and, but you're right i mean you we've gotten so used to seeing uh batters with their heads covered like with helmets and such high quality helmets these days and then when you look at uh yeah cricket from the 60s and 70s it just looks scary doesn't it, it just looks like why wait how was this even allowed but that's just us who have grown up in the 90s and the 2000s kind of uh, using our knowledge from here and in trying to look at look at cricket from there from that perspective so it, it's it's strange I, i don't know but people who played in that era i mean sunil gavaskar and those guys take a lot of pride having faced those guys mm. without a proper helmet it is also worth looking at and jeff lawson hates it when i mention this but if you do look at the speed bowling competition uh they they flew out 12 fastest balls in the world and there were four guys who didn't crack 130 uh kilometers per hour in that competition so that's 80 miles an hour mm. there were very fast bowlers but there weren't a lot of very fast bowlers so you could, I, i'm more than happy to say that jeff thompson is still probably one of the quickest of all time and yeah. michael holding would still be fairly fast in this era and a few of those other guys but ne- like michael holding would be a more normal paced fast bowler now and so i do yeah. think from that perspective you have to understand that yes i, I and look I think the club cricket story that's why I brought up the Christian Ryan one because that was a club mm. cricket story. I think that's where it was mm. absolutely ridiculous. And we've heard also there's heaps of stories about that in uh with West Indians bowling in Lancashire leagues and Staffordshire league and that yeah. you know and people just not who shouldn't have been on the field with with guys of that pace. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live, because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com/presale to get fifty dollars off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends nine nineteen. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Uh, Nadika says, "Where would you rank today's all-time great all-rounders? Shakib, Jadeja, and Stokes are um, the four great all-rounders of the '80s." Oh, I like it. that. That's a twist. I wasn't expecting that. Um, I I think Richard Hadley's case for being a great all-rounder is slightly exaggerated. Uh, I think was, I think he was what a better bat than Shane Warne, perhaps, but I'm not sure. Mm. Like his hundred was. Uh, not gifted to him is the, is the wrong way of putting it but mm. basically the west indies had given up on that test match um 
you know, when you look at it, first class record was pretty good. There's no doubt he could bat. I, I don't think that's the, the case, but I don't have, I don't, I think he has the weakest claim of those all rounders. Botham's interesting because Botham basically has the best record in the world for a couple of years. And then the rest of his yeah. career is a little bit more average than that. Um, also that start of his career, I don't think he played against the West Indies at that point, mm. or, or maybe I'm misremembering it. Maybe he hadn't played them very much. Um, and his record after playing the West Indies is not as good, but I would still think that both of them has uh, Stokes covered. Uh, if you're looking yeah. at, at seam bowling all around us, I think Kapil Dev is certainly not on the level of batting that Shakib, Jadeja, or Imran Khan is. But the fact that Kapil Dev has his bowling record and mostly bowled in India as a seam bowler, I, I, feel, I find it hard to not boost his his record there. Um, and Imran Khan was probably... I still I think Imran Khan's the best of that lot. And I think Jadeja can probably go up towards that Imran Khan level, whereas I don't... Well, Shakib's pretty much finished, isn't he? Um, and Stokes is not... I don't think Stokes is quite on the level of... He'd probably be more on that maybe Hadley level. Is that yeah. fair to say? I don't, I don't know. I mean, the by definition, an all-rounder or a high-level all-rounder would be someone who could play in any side as both or as a specialist batter or, or a specialist bowler. So if even if you break it down in that fashion, I mean, Ben Stokes has played as a specialist batter at times. Uh, we've seen that over mm. the years, but would you pick him as a specialist bowler? It's interesting. Not always. I, I mean, th this is the argument with, you could have this with maybe Hadley, but certainly with Kapil Dev, when you look at their batting records, they're not particularly great, mm. right? Overall. And both of them's maybe even another one. But having said that, they were playing like all-rounders, right? Like yes. there is a freedom that you get with an all-rounder. Whereas Jadeja and Imran Khan are very different because they actually get better um, uh, with their second skill over time. Do you know what I mean? They actually really, yeah, yeah. really legitimately um, improve. See, I don't think, I think Shakib Shakib gets in the Bangladesh side as a batter, as a bowler. I, I think yes. that's very, very fair. Yeah. But I'm not sure um, there's any other player on that. Like would Imran Khan even at his peak in his batting, would he have been picked as a batter? I don't know, right? Would mm. both of them have been picked as a number six if he couldn't bowl? I don't, maybe, maybe he sleep, he, he skips in. Um, you know, I don't think Kapil Dev would have been picked uh, in, in the top six. And Jadeja certainly wouldn't have been most of his career, although you could argue a bit like Imran Khan, maybe at his peak. Mm, I think it's also need-based, right? Uh, mm. When you talk about all-rounders or, or any position for that matter in, in sport and especially in cricket, it also depends on what your team needs. And what if there are like two or three, like just look at the recent Australia tour of India. Uh, like India had three spinners who could all make yeah. test centuries on the day. So uh, that kind of makes Jadeja the best of the, those three in terms of just pure all-round talent. Or in terms of where he bats. So he obviously batted higher than Aksar Patel and Ashwin. He was batting five towards the end of that series. So that makes him the premier all-rounder in that side. But it is also very needs-based. Obviously, it gets him the nod ahead of our Ashwin whenever they play overseas. Yeah. Or it has in the last couple of years. His batting and his fielding kind of come into the picture. So I think it's also about that. But, but I guess with all-rounders, you also have to look at impact. The kind of innings that they play. I mean, Kapil Dev single-handedly turned games for India mm. with the bat. I mean, Lee obviously did it with the ball, but with the bat as well, right? I mean, whether it's the World Cup knocks, so there are so many. I mean, so many knocks all around, and he got hundreds everywhere. Or significant knocks were played all around the world. Uh, similarly with Imran Khan, Richard Hadley. Yes, I mean, he he was 
con- consistent enough to be called an all-rounder, I guess. But I can't recall too many impact innings that uh, he produced with the bat. Maybe a handful, but not as many as a couple Dev or definitely not Ian Botham or Imran Khan. So, I, I think you're right. I don't think he. I don't think he approaches them. I mean, you might say that he's a better bowler than all those other guys. So perhaps. Yes. Maybe he goes up. But even then, I'm not sure he was a particularly better bowler than Imran Khan. I'll, I'll say this. Jadeja is one of three players, I think, at the moment who has a bowling average under 25 and a batting average over 35. Yeah. Um, and I think the other two are Imran Khan and Keith Miller. That on its own is, I mean, that means you're you're not just a good bowler at that point. You're an elite bowler. Um, and then that that batting, and, and we know that that's largely batting in the second half of his career. I think that Jadeja certainly would, you know, uh, I don't think he's as good as Imran Khan, but I also think it's worth having him in that discussion. And if he plays at this level for another five years with a bat and the ball, mm-hmm. you know, maybe he is. He's probably a better, well, he's definitely a better fielder than Imran Khan, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, throughout it's hard because you and I grew up with Imran Khan not particularly moving well in the field, but obviously he was a yeah, brilliant athlete true. when he was younger. It wasn't moving quite well. By the end, he just sort of sat at mid-off with my memory and never moved. But um, yeah. yeah, look, I, I think that Shakib's the really, really tricky one only because he's played for a poorer team. Um, yeah, but when you exactly. look at his record, it's hard to find holes in it. I, I was doing it again recently. It, it, there aren't, there aren't, he, he had genuine, you know, six or seven years where he was a top flight batter. And you would have to say that he's been in the top five or 10 best spinners pretty much all the way through his career. And he's got a, the, the other thing about Shakib that's quite interesting. He's got a very good record at home, but it's not like absolutely brilliant. And then his bowling record away from home is very, very similar. So there's not, yeah. it's, it's not as much of a drop off. Stokes, my big thing with Stokes, I'd be interested to hear what you think about this. But my, my big thing with Stokes is that if he, he's the, out of all of those we said, only him and Shakib are the specialist batters who bowl, right? Mm. They're the only guys who probably make it automatically a specialist yes. batters who bowl. Yeah. And yet Stokes has a very similar average to, to you know, Imran Khan or Jadeja. It's not yeah. like he's averaging 45 no. um, if, if that's the case. So I find it hard to put him in that elite, elite thing. But having said that, how many times have we seen Stokes do things that just other players cannot do, right? That's true. Yeah, that's exactly why he is always in that mix or always in that conversation because of the things he can do, not just with bat, but with ball as well. He'll come and give you that 11-hour spell on a hot day in Chennai or somewhere. Um, and even though he doesn't finish with uh, the number of wickets or the bowling average or the five-wicket holes that some of those other guys did, uh, at times he might have been more influential in where the game has gone mm. uh, than than those guys would have. Uh, so I think that's where Stokes comes in. But I, I can't think of any all-rounder who more complete than Jack Callis. That's why I think he is with Gary Sobers. Uh, but for you know, I sober obviously before my time, and you know, obviously Hall of Famer, the greatest Wait, ever. So you think Callis is more complete than Imran Khan? Because I would say Imran Khan was probably more complete than him in that he had the ability to average fifty with the bat, and he had the ability to average twenty with the ball. Whereas Callis was never going to average twenty or twenty-five with the ball. Partly, and also he wasn't going to bowl a lot of overs. So mm. from completeness, I would have thought that Keith Miller and um, and Imran with the two most, com- you know, complete all-rounders, yeah. and Shakib and Jadeja are not that far away. So I almost see Callis and Sobers as something slightly different, which is absolutely above, you know, S-tier b- batting talent. But yeah. their bowling was good, but 
were they ever were they ever better than let's say the fourth best bowler right in, in, in a good bowling attack and that's good skill in its own i'm not not it, having it to is, go with but, that but again i think uh, that had a lot to do with the teams that callis played in uh, right yeah. if say uh, this is all ifs and buts. If, say, Callis plays for a team which doesn't have the number of all-rounders that South Africa did during his era, or largely during, uh, for a major part of his era, I think he would have played uh, a bigger role with the ball. Because even to towards the end, he was, he never, like, his bowling never dropped, which I think really stood out for me. And mm -hmm. there are a lot of other guys who, if you average as high as he did with the bat, and scored the number of runs he did with the bat, their bowling would kind of start to taper off, or they mm. don't bowl as much as um, they they would have at the start. But he just from I, I was there for his final test in Durban. He was still bowling the same way he was. Maybe he dropped a little bit in pace, but he had all the skills. He could swing the ball. He had a sharp shot delivery. He had slow ones. He took wickets across all formats. So I think his bowling was a little more underrated because of uh, the teams he played in with. I, you know. Yeah, I see what you're saying, but he got the new ball like he would he would come on around the eight to twelfth over quite a lot, hmm. right? He wasn't yeah. he wasn't getting thrown the ball in the way that Stokes is getting thrown the ball. Yeah, that's right? true. Yeah, um, and he didn't have to do the grunt work that Sobers had to do, right? Yeah, was, I mean, no one had to do. I mean, Sobers was bowling thirty seven overs a yeah, match, yeah. which is ridiculous if you're averaging over fifty. But you have a look at Callis's first class record. He averaged roughly the same in first class cricket as he does in Test cricket. I think there's I think there's a very good argument, and you could say this for Capital Dev, you probably say this for Stokes, you probably say this for Callis, you probably say this for Keith Miller as well. That if yeah. those guys were only good at their second skill and they spent all their time on it, Callis is probably still a test match uh quality bowler. But as I said, he's probably more the fourth bowler that you pick in that team, right? Mm. Rather than you know, uh, you know, someone else was that Sean Pollock out of this as well, who never gets mentioned at yeah, all. This. Exactly, yeah. And he yeah. was absolutely fantastic. And do you know who else's figures are really good? Because I looked them up again the other day. Is Brian McMillan? Just because you mentioned mm. all these South African all rounds. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to get off this question, otherwise, um, we'll get to Aubrey Faulkner. Uh, <laughs> Christopher says, when selecting uh, openers, how much would be looked at whether batters make regular sub 10 scores and out quickly compared to maybe starts and for where a batsman may change and uh, see off the first change. So this is something that's come in in the last couple of years, I would say. So Sean Marsh was a player that uh, the Australian team was really, really conscious of that he made an above average amount of single figure scores. Um, and uh, th the other one that you could talk about is obviously the whole thing with Denley, Sibley, mm. um, Who's the other one you said it before? Burns, where they Burns. literally said, "Look, and, and this is and Joe Denley completely disagrees with this, but this is what I was told by the England camp that they basically mm. said, "Look, if you can get to fifty balls or a hundred balls, that is more than enough rather than scoring runs." And I think there has been a th thought process that has changed. I don't think traditionally this would have been an easy stat to really have a look at. Um, whereas now with ball by ball data, it's quite mm. it's quite interesting. My favorite cricketer, um, of course, was always Mark. He's not an opener, but was always Marcus North because he only ever made single figure scores or triple finger scores, which is <laughs> really, really rare. Um, <laughs> but those sorts of patterns with Stats Guru and then you now Crickviz and ball by ball data and all these different things are really easy to pick up. Um, so I do think teams think about this a little bit more than perhaps that they used to. Yeah, I mean, traditionally the openers at all was to see off the new ball and like it was more about the number of balls you faced uh, than um, uh, the number of runs you scored in most cases 
but this is also again going back to uh, the need it's needs based right mm-hmm. uh, with with every team how strong is your middle order uh, so uh, i mean you talk of virender uh, sehwag and akash chopra so around akash chopra you had sehwag dravid ganguly lakshman tendulkar so even if he just made sure that dravid walked out to bat with the ball was 15 overs old or 20 overs old whether he scored runs or not his job was done and i'm not saying that was his only role in the team that was, was his only job in the team but also if he did that and sehwag was around like we saw in australia india would be close to 80 uh, on the board so or, or at times it didn't matter his average or the numbers the number of runs he scored because he'd done his job so i think that uh, changes i mean that that role can still be played by someone in a team which uh, like even like england when you said about uh, joe denley and rory burns they had such a strong middle order yeah. uh, they still do that all you wanted was like hey let's can we just make sure joe root doesn't walk out to bat in the first five overs that's your only job that make sure joe root is in there he can have two cups of tea rather than one cup of tea or zero cups of tea before he walks out to bat if you can do that then you can play as an opener in the in the team and also depends on what options you have as well right i mean at times and especially with openers every country goes through a phase where you just don't have enough you don't have enough options to pick from and then suddenly there's a glut of them and you think of any major test cricketing nation they've all gone through that uh, like australia right now i mean yes there are options but you know there's this reluctance to move on from Warner and Khawaja because you're like okay is it Renshaw is it uh, will when will will Pakorski be ready again or you know do you go to Cam Bancroft but there's no not enough new names that have popped up and said oh you know what uh, we we sorted for this position so i think that also has a lot to do with it uh, but i don't know who will you pick Jared i'll pick someone who i'm i'm a traditionalist in some ways i think if we can uh, if you can see off the new ball if you can just bat time uh i don't know it's changes with this old baseball uh, theory of course it does but uh yeah i mean if it's a strong middle order if you can just do that uh, and there will be times when you'll get set and make a score so mm. it doesn't matter i i think most of the m- most of the more successful teams of all time have had an attacking opener and mm. i don't necessarily mean they all need to be sewag um or hayden right but having say work hayden uh you know arthur morris uh you know whoever those sorts of players are i think it does set a tone but having said that i'm not sure you can do that in new zealand or england right like yeah. i'm not sure you can you know and that's when some that's kind of when you want the the Tom Sibley. I mean, I'm not saying mm-hmm. if you have a choice between say Wag and Sibley, you pick, you pick Sibley, <laughs> yeah. but but there's a reason why that you know, I always look back to the Alex Hales experiment when he opened the batting for England and he had a slower strike rate than Alistair Cook, right? And it was basically because he it's just hard to do that in in yeah. Red Bull cricket and you know, we Jason Roy struggled with it as well. Yeah, exactly. Warner hasn't made any runs there. The entire, you know, I've done a th- 17 part docu series on the fact that New Zealand have always struggled to find openers. Yeah. But the in the rest of the world I do think, you know, that sort of Gordon Greenwich type cricketer is is a important person to have. That said, I may have picked out like about six of the 12 guys who've ever been able to do that. Exactly. I mean, cuz yeah. you've got a lot of like Chris Shrikanth and Keith Stackpole type guys yeah. who yeah. they attacked but did they you know they probably didn't average very high i don't know if either of those guys averaged over 35 or over 40 um and so it is a really tough thing but i so i i there is a part of me that thinks that is ideal but i just i i really think 
I've been thinking about this a lot. I just think opening in Asia is very different than everywhere else. And then again, opening in England and New Zealand is very different than everywhere else. And with that Duke's ball in West Indies, maybe that one is another one as well. Opening in um, South Africa and Australia is probably its own thing. There maybe isn't that many complete openers um, just because the skills needed, like the, the skills needed to face Rabada um, mm. on a lively pitch are not the same skills that are needed to face Ashwin in the second yeah. innings at Chennai, right? Like they're just not, I don't know why we both keep mentioning Chennai so much today, but we are. Not exactly, yeah. Um... Oh, here we go. I, I, <laughs> I should have found this earlier. Ram Kumar says, is Barrett Sundaresan the Rishi Darwan of the Red Inca podcast? That's at nine and doesn't bowl. I mean, it's a, it's a role I would love love to have played when I was playing cricket regularly. <laughs> bat at nine and not bowl. I did bat at nine a lot, but I was bowling a lot as well. Uh, but uh, have you have you ever not batted and not bowled in a game? Uh, no, I don't think so. I've always bowled. There have obviously been times when I haven't batted uh, quite a few times, but uh, you, know, you were a seamer to... though, weren't you? I was, yeah. yeah. I'm I a spinner, to... so occasionally that would happen. Like if I was batting down the order and the oh, and right. the quicks got all the wickets. You know, there's, yeah, yeah, they yeah. don't always throw you the ball. I remember the, the weirdest game I ever played was we were playing, I was playing for North Melbourne and it was the last over of the game of, of our innings and I hadn't bowled and the captain threw me the ball and it was the, one of the first times I, I went, what, why are you getting me, to, why are you getting a leg spinner to come off for the last over? Anyway, uh, it's good to have Barrett back. For this week, anyway. Uh, now that you've all abused him, he'll disappear again. Uh, Josh says, "What if I use a time machine to swap Hadley and McGrath to the other teams, um, to the other team mm. and era?" McGrath, I, I almost think that McGrath would have been harder to play if he bowled in the eighties. Yeah. Um, just because I think the wickets were not quite as good as maybe, maybe that's not true. I don't know. I kind of feel that. That was when the West Indies were completely dominated bowling back of a length, which is what McGrath would have done. Um, I don't know if it matters what era that Hadley bowled in. Um, yeah. You know, by the time he gets to the 80s, he's really, really good. From a team perspective, I don't, I'm going to, this is what, this is my thought on this. Tell me what you think. Because mm -hmm. they're both new ball bowlers and they were both so dominant. I don't think moving them into another team has, would have the same impact that moving Shane Warne into a yeah. less successful team or Anil Kumble into a less successful team or um, or, or Murali into a... Like, if you put Murali into a team that had McGrath and Gillespie, for instance, mm. uh, I would have thought that would have given Murali a huge advantage. He doesn't have to work over set batters as much. But I'm not sure if Hadley and McGrath make as big of a difference. Although, obviously, Hadley, who's Hadley's best bowling partner Chatfield I guess I Chatfield, mean, Morrison, yeah. Cairns I mean that's yeah. a big difference from Gillespie, Fleming mm. Lee um, mm. who Chatfield. else? Merv yeah. Rifle like, Rifle, even McDermott early on Yeah, yeah. Would, would, he, would Paul Rifle have been better than any of those New Zealand seamen? I think so and I'll he's be, what, I'll, the seventh best bowler that yeah. McGrath probably bowls with? Oh, for sure, yeah. And uh, again, I think Paul Rifle is quite underrated. Uh, he was a fantastic bowler, but I'm saying yeah. if you compare him to the second yeah. best oh, in yeah, New yeah, Zealand. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. I mean, maybe averages are different and everything else. Maybe we're forgetting mm. someone. But, uh, and you and you and Chatfield was a really good bowler, and mm. and, and, and Canton Morrison certainly had their moments. But Hadley never had to bowl with anyone who was consistently a, a threat home and yeah. away the way that 
I mean, not only did McGrath have one of the greatest spinners of all time, he just had a lot of um, spin bowling options. Yeah. The only thing Hadley probably has, although I'm stuck struggling to think about it, but I would say that's probably maybe more five-man attacks that he might have bowled in. Um, but he bowled probably a third of the overs anyway, so did. it maybe yeah. didn't matter. Uh, with Hadley, I think what really stood out was his uh, record in Asia. I mean, he took a lot of wickets in India for sure. I think he did so rather in Pakistan as well. I think the more than... Uh, you're right. I mean, you swap them, they both fit in, regardless of what era they, they played in. But I think it would have, like, it's a great question from Josh because it would have been fascinating to see Glenn Megra bowl in the 80s because at a time when... I mean, it was the last era where batters had uh, the patience to not feel for the ball as much as, like, you know, with in, through the 90s and then into the 2000s, because there was so much more white ball cricket as well, naturally a lot of batters were going towards the ball. And I think McGrath uh, and a lot of bowlers in the 90s and even today benefit from from that as compared to cricket in the 70s and the 80s when, especially just speaking about openers, I think openers had a lot more patience. There were a lot more balls being left mm-hmm. alone. So uh, to see McGrath work over batters in, in that era would have been fascinating. I mean, mm-hmm. you can imagine so many matchups, right? And, you know, there's a first mention of wrestling. And it's 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 called, I mean, it happens in wrestling all the time. You always like fantasy book. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what would it have been to see Hulk Hogan at his peak against, uh, I don't know, Goldberg at his peak or... Uh, or John Cena to speak, or something like that. So Glenn Megra bowling, taking the new ball uh, with say Chatfield and uh, Morrison against Haynes and Greenwich and Viv Richards at their peak. It just it would have been fascinating to see. Mm. But no, no, I think Hadley that. just and for Hadley, I mean, to have batters walk down at him, maybe potentially That's like you know thinking. using their feet, trying to hit him off his length. I reckon Hadley would have worked out quicker the LBW than modern Ooh. fast bowlers did and he bowled a lot fuller naturally anyway which would have helped with drs and he bowled very very stump to stump yeah. um so once the, it's possible he might he might have got a, a small bump of that although it's probably only the last three or four years of mcgrath's career anyway but we know that you know kevin peterson started to use the crease to mcgrath a little bit more um yeah. the other thing is i i always remember that mcgrath would get frustrated when play, players were were leaving him a lot Right now, yeah. as you said, he grew up in an era where that doesn't happen. So, mm. of course, when they start to leave him a little bit more, that maybe frustrates him. How he would have gone, though, because I don't think he was a particularly... I, I mean, my my memory is, and he's kind of pre-Hawkeye um, for a lot of mm. his career, but my memory is he bowled a shorter line than most uh, most other bowlers yeah. did. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. That West Indian line and length, I should say, not yeah. just line, but also wide of off stump. Um, and so it, it was easier to leave than perhaps um, other people. But no, it's, it's fascinating. So I was just trying to think of other bowlers if you sort of swap them in different eras. Joel Garner would be a very interesting person if you took him mm. away from, if you put him in somewhere like, well, obviously Asia would be interesting, but if, if he was bowling in Australia, he'd get the extra bounce. But first change bowlers in Australia are usually a, a huge disadvantage because once that new ball, you know, dies a little bit that yeah. they struggle so there are bowlers who i'm not saying that they wouldn't evolve and they might not i mean joel garner was pretty good in you know in first class cricket in australia and pretty good in test cricket in australia i think he would have worked it out but there are bowlers who would probably have to change quite a bit like we know that if jimmy if jimmy anderson was uh, a south african bowler he probably mm. would have kept his pace a lot longer right yeah 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's what I mean. It's the kind of conditions you get to bowl in uh, for longer periods as well. I mean, our Ashwin would be fascinating. I mean, with his skill set and his uh, his ability to experiment mm. and always be open to experiment. Imagine if he played a, a lot of his cricket in in Australia and Nathan Lyon was playing for India. I mean, it's it's again. Mm. Uh, Maybe that should happen. Maybe cricket will reach a point. I mean, now it's too late with all this league cricket, but maybe cricket would reach a point where, you know, uh, just for funsies, you get to swap, you know, like a partner swap thing. With, you know, <laughs> no, with it's, it's, it's a really interesting <laughs> one going ahead because I've got a piece about um, trades and what trades you could make in cricket. Uh, let's take a break here on a Wagon Wheel and we'll come back. We've got a few more questions for Patreon and then we'll go to the comment section as well. All right, welcome back, and uh, we've got Barrett with us on his his wagon wheel debut. He's just he nailing is. these questions. Although, as I try to move on, of course, he comes up with ten more points. I now realise <laughs> that I would have to limit the amount of questions uh, for Barrett. Uh, but Josh says, hypothetical: the nine test teams decide. Aren't there more than nine? But anyway, okay. The nine <laughs> test teams decide to put all their players up for an NBA style draft for the World Test Championship. Who would you pick first? Jadeja, Ashwin, Blundell. Blundell is on that list, Josh. Um, I, I've already done a video on this. I think Jadeja is your first choice. Um, and it's weird because it's not, it feels like it's not that long ago that he wasn't even an automatic selection in India's mm. team all, in all conditions. But for me, uh, the ability to bat let's say five, but probably number six and make runs while also being one of the world's best bowlers. Um, uh, it completely transforms your team. I think Ashwin's incredible. Obviously you could throw Rabada and Cummins up there. Uh, Labashane, Smith, mm. Baba Azam. There's a lot of good cricketers. Stokes holder, I suppose as well. Yeah. Um, but I just think Jadeja for me is the automatic choice because you have one of the world's best spinners and you have a frontline batter and you have a brilliant fielder. And uh, wasn't it uh, Paul Farbrace when he was assistant coach of England who said, I think he was asked, uh, well, not a similar question, but he was asked, uh, I don't remember who told me this, so maybe I heard it on commentary. But what uh, this is not even now. When was Paul, Paul Farbrace the assistant coach? 2018. years ago now, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So maybe 17, 18, somebody asked him, so if there's one international cricketer out there who you would want to play in this English team, who would it be? And without... Even having to think about it, he said Ravindra Jadeja. And this is when he hadn't hit his peak as a batter at test mm. level. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it just brings so much to the table, right? I mean, the fielding, the the batting, the, the ever-improving batting, I should say, the the bowling. It, it, it was interesting watching Jadeja, to digress slightly, uh, as a batter in the Australia Tour of India. Because he was batting number five. But there were times when... Uh, I thought he was off rhythm. Like he was batting too much like a number five. That makes sense. Mm. Like a Jadeja who is, uh, uh, who's doing well is someone who's like scoring consistently and is always looking to score runs. But I think I, the pitches didn't help either in the first two, three tests. Uh, so sorry about that. Uh, so I think that kind of uh, played a role in it as well. But yeah, I think Jadeja is just... Uh, He's got everything, and he's, he's the right age as well. I mean, he's, what, 32 now? Like, so well, he... I was going to throw this at you because we've done that without thinking of players' ages. Yes. Right? Yes, if you factor true. in ages, I'm not sure this question is anywhere near as easy. Cameron no. Green might be the player. So, that's exactly who I was thinking of. Just Cameron because he's Green an all-rounder? Is... Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if they're, you know, I mean, I can't think of anyone else obvious 
um, in, you know, world cricket. You know, obviously, you know, you've got Labashain's quite young as well. Uh, Baba Azam's 28, so you probably mm. don't pick someone 28. You probably want someone a little bit. Shahina Freedy, I don't know what age he is, I'd like yes. written down 24. or in real yeah. life. Yeah, 24, 25. Yeah. yeah, so he's another one that I'd, is probably, but because of his injury concerns, maybe you don't take him number one. Um, uh, I'm, uh, mm. Ma- Marco Janssen is another interesting one. Yes, yeah. As yeah. well. Uh, that mm. wouldn't be far away. But yeah, it, it, it's probably something we should try and do one day is like the top t- 25 players under 25 in yes. international cricket is a really, really interesting one at the moment and where you would have all those different players. Mm. But but yeah, if it, I think if it's, without doing any research off the top of my head, if we're factoring in age, I think Cameron Green is probably fairly yes. high up on that. It just tells you how, how much all-rounders are valued um, as much as anything else. Mm. Not if it was a T20 team, though. Not at the moment. Not at the moment, yeah. That's a story for another day. Uh, Patrick says, who would you call the best opener in the world right now? Ooh, that's a tough question. Oh, best opener Kawaja might have the best stats over the last couple of years. He would, he would. And now that he's got runs in. Karuna Ratna just keeps making hundreds, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So, um... Elgar was up there for a long time. Even... Even when, yeah, and then he just sort of yeah. dropped off a cliff the last couple of years. You know, this is how bad it is. I'm not slagging him off, but Brathwaite is in the conversation. Yes. And he, he's not, he's not obviously the best, but he's in the conversation. And I think that shows you that it's been bad. Latham was up there for a long time. He was, yeah. Not quite Conway. at that level anymore. Am I missing anyone yeah. else? Devin Conway, does he bat, does he bat number three? Does he open these days? So well, I mean, he was opening, wasn't he? I mean, I, I suppose, I feel like he hasn't played enough but maybe yeah. he has I mean, he's got a good record so maybe he he's up there already yeah but but considering patrick doesn't mention which format is he asking us to pick an opener who fits in across formats is there anyone out there rohit sharma i guess uh, but Ro- oh we didn't even mention rohit he certainly yeah. has to be oh. up there yeah, yeah uh, he has to be up there right? he's i mean how many guys yeah, are in men's international cricket right now who open across all formats this Rohit, yeah, KL um, Rahul at times, like even Latham's though he gets criticized, plays yeah. one day cricket, doesn't he? But not T20, yeah. he bats T20. in the middle order in T20, yeah, he does. I think he plays more as a, yeah, oh, even that... is his, his T20 career is no. happily over. They, they made him captain for the 2019 World Cup, remember, randomly, and then it didn't work out too well. Um, there are I only remember many. because of that photo they all took. Do you remember when they were in yeah. a warehouse? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, great question, Patrick. Thanks for that. Aditya mm. uh, says, if Afghanistan had the chance to play the same number of tests as the major nations, where do you have Rashid Khan um, ending up as a test spinner? Would he have ended up in the top tier? I think if he played a lot of test cricket, he would be fantastic. He, mm. I think he's a really good first-class bowler. Remember yeah. when he took... 11 wickets against England Lions before he even, you know, before he'd even really developed as a bowler. He might have been, yeah. you know, he was before he was, you know, the champion in T20 cricket. Um, I think that Sunil Narayan would have been a very good test bowler as well. And I think Rashid Khan would be massively better than him as a mm, test bowler. Yeah, for sure. So if they were playing, Matt, yeah, I, I don't know. I think he would be the, the best leg spinner since Warren, obviously, uh, Warren and Kumble, um, with obviously, you know, Yassir Shah's weird-ass career mm. now. I said, where he was brilliant yeah. for, for a couple of years and then dropped off. But I think he had the ability to be better than uh, Yassir Shah. Am I missing any other leg spinners? I don't think I am, am I? 
No, I mean, but my question is, where will Rashid Khan find time to play Test cricket? Uh, even if Afghanistan were to play, start playing a lot of Test matches, yeah. considering he just seems to be playing, going from one league to another, and understandably so. I mean, he's such a rare talent that everybody wants uh, wants him playing in their league. So uh, that'll be. I mean, this is of, of course a hypothetical question. Yeah, because so, it doesn't matter. He doesn't have to make that decision anyway, right? Because they're yeah, exactly. never going to play enough tests. Play enough test matches. <laughs> That's so, true. But but I'll tell you this. I was thinking about it the other day, and I'm sure you've done a video on this at some point. I mean, he'll end up with Tendulkar-esque numbers with the ball in T20 cricket, right? With numbers that nobody will be able to reach for a long, long time. Uh, the rate at which he's going, and uh, again, ages and whatever is what in early twenties now, apparently like twenty four, twenty three. I mean, whatever his age is. Let's say he is that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's say he's twenty four. I think that's his official age. Um, you know, so when he... I, I did a big research on him recently, and I don't know if I wrote ended up writing the piece. I think I was going to do it for some someone else, not myself. But I've got acres and acres of research. I couldn't work out exactly what country he was born in whether it was Pakistan or Afghanistan. And I couldn't work out exactly where he spent his younger years. It felt mm. like he spent them in both countries. Yeah, yeah. And if did. he was yeah. going between the, bo- between the both, it would be very hard for them to know his exact age or exactly. anything like yeah. that. He would have, from, from what my knowledge of that area, he would have gone into class based on what his reading skill was, what his math mm. skill was, rather than what his age was, probably more often than not. Mm. And so it's possible that no one knows his his real age. It's not even. It's, I, there's a lot of age fraud, obviously, in underage cricket oh, yeah, yeah. at times. But I don't think this is particularly no. a case of that. I think it's more a case of the old fashioned sort of thing where there was a war on in his country. His family sort of lived halfway between both countries. They were cross, exactly. crossing the Hindu Kush mountains over and over again for work and everything else. So, um, yeah. but yeah, let's say at worst he's 27. Yeah. Right. He's a leg spinner and he's worked. He's got himself very fit. He wasn't always fit when he started. No, Um, no. You know, the one thing I would say is because of the pace that he bowls and the revolution he gets on the ball, eventually that's going to have to wear out finger, wrist, elbow, shoulder, whichever one goes first. That's that's going to be the big challenge for him. Like, yeah, so he's, uh, especially the shoulder, I don't know. I mean, we'll see how um, it works out. And, and again, that leaves us back to Aditya's question. Like, you know, with, would his shoulder, uh, the rest of it hold up if he mm. were to play a lot of test matches, right? You know, when he does he regularly has to bowl. And think about it. I mean, the way the Afghanistan team is set up, they have so many spinners uh, who keep, keep coming through the ranks. But still, you would think Rashid Khan will the majority of the overs like he has the few times they have played test cricket mm. and you know what the wear and tear that will have on his bowling as well so you would you would end up in the top tier at sunil narayan was a was a disappointment but he also it he played test cricket when the the controversy or you know the speculation around his action was at his peak so i think yeah. that impacted uh, his cricket a lot i don't think he got to play a lot of home tests the brief period where he was playing test cricket i think that kind of hindered his uh, test career as well. Look, but, his numbers are bad, but there were, if you watched him bowl in test cricket, there were certain yeah. times when you you understood it. And yes. I would if, if you disregard T20 cricket, if you watched him bowl when he was young coming through, he yeah. had a brilliant off-spinning delivery. He did. And yeah. over the yeah. years, he hasn't needed that as much, and so it's faded away. 
And basically what you need is a great stock ball. And I think that's the thing. With, if you compare them to a Junta Mendes, right? Yeah. Junta Mendes had no great stock ball, no. right? No. And, and so in test cricket, he was quite easy to play once you could, you know, once you could understand what he was doing a little bit. Whereas with those two, uh, you know, Rashid Khan is bowling on an angle in at the stumps, spinning it to the top of the stumps at speed with wrongness yeah. that you're not going to be able to pick. Sun on Ryan was spinning the off spinner very well and had the ability to take the ball the other way. I just think yeah. that they they probably had a, a a better thing. But but you're right with with Rashid. If he bowled that many overs, I don't know how it would all last for him. The one thing though, I would say last point on Rashid Khan before we move questions. I haven't is... moved questions. <laughs> if he does, does end up playing a lot of test cricket or say if he did end up playing a lot of test cricket I think it would make him an even more potent T20 bowler because he'll learn more skills of getting batters out where you know even when batters are trying to play him out I think he'll figure out ways of getting them out so it'll just make him a more complete bowler and I think that's the uh, and imagine what a force he would be then in T20 cricket if he becomes uh, even more consistent at taking wickets yeah. than he is now. No, I, th- I think you're right. And I think that's why people learned to block out Sun on their own because he yeah. didn't develop those other skills. Uh, Jake says, do you think IPL owners at some uh, point start to build their own stadium similar to mm. other, what other sports do? I, this is a really good question. I remember when it came through, my feeling is yes. Because I do think there is some friction at times between stadiums. So for those who don't know, Eden Gardens is run by the police. Um, and I can tell you that KKR and IMG and the BCCI are not always completely happy with how the police run that particular stadium. As brilliant as, well, I say as brilliant as it is, but as romantic as that stadium is that my my memory of working with the ipl and you might know a little bit more about this but my memory of the ipl is they were always really happy when games were in wenketty because uh img basically ran wenketty yeah and they could do exactly what they wanted there bengaluru is not that is definitely not the case um, i'm oh. assuming delhi would not be the case i'm assuming there's a few grounds out there where you would have to deal with the old men in blazers um and so that would affect them. So yes, I could understand this, but I, I, I would be, I could be wrong. It feels like Indian cricket's way off from the owners thinking they need to do this. No, I mean at the moment the owners are more focused on buying teams elsewhere and making sure that their brand is a twelve remains a twelve month product. I think they they would have stretched it up to six to eight months at this point, I guess, with all the leagues coming up. But I'm sure they want a couple more leagues going on so that it's a 12-month product. And uh, it helps that now there's the Women's Premier League as well, which mm. uh, allows them to do that uh, and, you know, just add to their product. But, uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, I mean, what happens to uh, to answer Jake's second part of the question is it that, that's exactly how it happens. I mean, at, at the Wankade, the MCA, obviously, uh, the BCCI and the MCA, uh, they, they they own the stadium or they run the affairs of the Wankere. But I think a week out from the IPL starting is when the keys are kind of handed over to the yeah. to, to Lance, to the Ambani's, uh, and then they take over. And the best example of that is uh, when India won the 2011 World Cup. So the day, uh, the evening after the final, I and one of my former colleagues went to the Wankare. We wanted to do like this romantic piece of, oh, this the day after India won their first ever World Cup on home soil. Uh, and we walked in and uh, there was a lot of work going on. So all the ICC sponsors, everything was being brought down. And this is early IPL, 2011, so the fourth season. 
then all the Mumbai Indians boards and everything was going up. And it felt very surreal. They were like, wait, can't we wait for one day? Like, it's been less than like 20 hours since Dhoni hit that six country wait, but they couldn't wait because the IPL was just around the corner. And they were so busy doing all of this. I just like happily walked into the Indian dressing room and what was the Indian dressing room and nobody was there to stop us. And so my colleague and I actually sat where Gary Kirsten and those guys were sitting in the dugout just to get a feel of what it must have been like. And this is all happening like, it must have been like 5 p.m. the next day. So less than 18 hours after like, you know, Tony had happened. So it Do you was, know what uh, I love about that is that He's hit a he's hit a six. It's changed Indian cricket culture forever and all this sort of stuff. And there's still someone at the same ground less than 24 hours later putting up a massive picture of Aiden Blizzard. <laughs> That's true, actually. That is exactly he did. what it he was He had happening. a 50-foot picture on that ground. He like, did. He did. He would... <laughs> I've got a selfie of me with the massive Aiden Blizzard. Bit. And, like, if you're listening to this podcast and, you even re- and you're not from Australia and you remember who Aiden Blizzard is, congratulations to you. Congratulations, um, indeed, yeah. yeah. I think he works in cricket administration now. I have does bumped he? into him a few times. He does. I think I'm going to say in Canberra, but I've definitely bumped into him in the last few years, yeah. Don't know how we got onto that. Oh, we got a big one here from Cam. Uh, he's increasingly nostalgic uh, about the excitement of the first uh, test of the Australian summer. Prior to 2001, it would have been months since seeing the Australian team play, mm. um, aside from a brief snippet on the news and overseas. The build-up to seeing the team play again was great at such a celebration. Now we're saturated by cricket. And even if it's not the national teams playing, we're still watching the same players all year long in franchise leagues. Am I just getting old? I'm not even 40. Help. One thing I would say is, He's right, obviously. And I think this is the case for pretty much, well, certainly anyone who watched cricket before 1992, but even before the year 2000, as he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, had had this because we didn't see as much of overseas tours. We didn't see neutral teams really at all in those days or anything. The one thing I would say is I don't know if that's, the, this is more for ha- hardcore cricket pe- people. If you're a hardcore cricket fan, you're watching all this stuff. Yeah. If you're a casual fan, you're probably not actually watching as much of the first uh, I, I, and I'm basing this on people I know in England who don't follow the English team, but will follow, you know, the first test of the summer. Yeah, they yeah. still have that boss, but for the rest of us, it's a little bit different. Uh, certainly for me and Barrett, it's a little bit different, but, mm-hmm. but even for, you know, other people, um, I can understand why it's a little bit different, but yeah, I think it's changed Cam, but you also have other things that have been, you know, have developed at that time, I would suggest. And now that I've lived in Australia for a few years, it can also, it's so seasonal as well, right? And it's also, and Jared, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, this is my observation. It, it is, everything is a tradition in Australia, right? I mean, whether it's instantly uh, what you do on the morning of Anzac Day or how you celebrate uh, any other day or even like, you know, religious festivals like Easter or uh, Christmas or you know the, the AFL Grand Final. Whether you are interested in it or not, you will like kind of go and watch it. By the way, the gather round was fantastic. Uh, Isha and well, I, I was in Adelaide. It wasn't that great, and that's the reason I couldn't see the Magpies <laughs> play when I came back. No, you wrote about the tradition. So I came back to Australia for three weeks. Obviously, yeah. I think about four days into my trip, it was Good Friday, right? Yeah. Good right. Friday in Melbourne is a telethon for the Royal Children's Hospital where Bryden Coverdale, mm. the great Bryden Coverdale, has to go on TV. Bryden. So Bryden Coverdale, yeah. yeah. And has to uh, accept phone calls from random strangers. Two days later was the stall gift, right? So you've got this weird professional running race on grass with, with <laughs> handicaps, right? They're both traditional. A week before that was Moomba, 
right? Mm, yes, a week after course. I left is the Anzac Day football game between yes. Collingwood. And, and you t- people talk about that being a traditional game. Like, I'm 43, and I was about 14 or 15 when the first one was played, right? The yeah, baggy yeah. green, this huge tradition. Well, mm. they actually used to wear, people used to just hand them out on yeah, street exactly. corners, right? And uh, Australia Day as a celebration. When I grew up, there was no celebration for Australia Day. Mm. I don't remember anything happening. Some states were a little bit different, but certainly in Melbourne, it wasn't a massive thing. Things become sort of instant traditions in in Australia. And I think you're right. I think the first day of the Australian summer is probably one of those, right? As is... As is uh, the Australia Day um, stuff in Adelaide, the New mm. Year's stuff, the Boxing Day, Boxing um, Day thing, yeah. you know, all those sorts of things became traditions. But they, I mean, that, you know, the, I don't know how many people know this, but Boxing Day test doesn't become regular no. until 87 or 88. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And I there were so. Shield games. Victoria used to play New South Wales sometimes on Boxing Day. I think Victoria played West Indies at one stage um, on Boxing Day. Like it wasn't even always a massive game. I think it was, I think it was a little before that. I remember doing some research on this. Maybe the late 70s is like, or just after the Packer Revolution is when Boxing Day tests become a thing. Uh, yeah, that, I think the early it goes back until it goes back until the late eighteen hundreds when they oh, existed. But yes, you're right; they're not anywhere near consistent, and they disappear for the big periods, and then they come back. Um, but you, I don't think I think there's one missing in the eighties. I could be wrong; maybe I'm uh, mm. misremembering. But I think there's one year even missing in the eighties. So it really is a slow burn before it comes on, and then it's that instra tradition of almost. Within six years of it being every year, it's uh, we've always celebrated this. Like, like all those people were going to watch, you know, Victoria New South Wales play or what, whatever other game. Yeah. Um, so there you go. So don't worry, Cam. Uh, if you're in Australia, uh, you and Barrett will certainly find other traditions, <laughs> like the gather round. Uh, like the gather round, ma- which will stay in Adelaide for three more years. Yes. Yeah, it will only make sense to footy fans. Uh, James says, has there been any discussion inside uh, cricket about Herbalife sponsorship at the IPL from the UK? It's very surprising to see it, but I haven't seen anyone really talking about this. Do you know what Herbalife is? Uh, I've seen it as a sponsor in the IPL, but I'm not really in tune with what Herbalife is. Is it, is it, is it uh, something to do with nature or therapy or something like that? I wonder if it is a, a pyra- like a pyramid scheme, nutritional. Mm. Yeah. So I've just Googled up and the first, I just put Herbalife pyramid and straight away, just because I saw the words global marketing structure. And I was like, that just sounds oh. like a pyramid scheme. Uh, so James, I, I think it's fair to say that me and Barrett had no idea what Herbalife was until by yeah. latest Google, uh, having a look <laughs> at it there. It does seem like an odd sponsor, but. It's interesting, James, that you're you're having a look at this. Have a look at how many cricket teams around the world have had cryptocurrencies on the front Mm. of their shirts and have a look at how many of those cryptocurrencies are still keeping any of their values. Have a look at the cricketers and not just the cricketers, but also I'd love to have a look at the ICC Cryptos, if you remember, uh, which I believe is pronounced Cryptos, but looks like Cryptos when it's written down. Uh, There's no way that those are keeping value. Uh, you know, mm. I, I'm, it's a real shame. I didn't buy my, uh, for $6, I could have got a tomorrow meals, uh, dot ball, uh, <laughs> but I, I never, I never ended up uh, buying that. So I think there's a few things in, in, um, in cricket that when it comes to sponsorship are a little bit, you know, not right, mm. but I kind of always feel this is how 
sports if you if you go back and you watch old sports sponsorship that's kind of what it is right like it's it's always something that is about to be banned by government or something well, along those lines don't you think oh i mean it's, I, i've watched a few ipl games this time and herbalife by the way are uh, sponsoring the active catch of the week so every game someone some player wins uh, the herbalife active catch of the match award so good on them. Uh, that's that's what they're sponsoring but 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 yeah i mean even watching the visit saudi uh ads i don't know if you watched any ipl this year jared mm-hmm. uh, or if they pop up do so it 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 there must be a major sponsor because during every game that i've seen um it, it's not it, it's not something that just pops up they don't it's not a visit saudi i don't know, save of the day but it's uh, it pops up on the big screen so it's generally when they're coming out of a strategy break and then whoever the commentator is has to talk about oh visit the great sites of saudi jeddah yeah. and yeah which is kind of going back to advertising in cricket at a time you know there's so much controversy about saudi arabia investing in any kind of sport like which included wwe by the way just a while back um you here you have the IPL going on and this massive visit Saudi thing which pops well, up on the big screen. We can see them all over the ground. They're all over the yeah, um, on, on the boards, I mean, aren't they? Yeah. Like one of... So, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting where uh, cricket's headed or sport is headed next with in terms of marketing and there's always controversy about uh, in Australia about, you know, gambling companies and sport yeah. and fast it's... food companies. KFC yeah, and, and 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 the big bash and then the the potato crisps in for the 100, right? Like they that's what i mean it's always something that feels like it's on the edge of 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 getting banned whether it's or whatever that may be so that that's kind of how sport goes and i think cricket has followed that very much but benson and hedges cigarette cigarettes don't forget it it is hilarious to see how many cigarette companies have um sorry how many tournaments were sponsored by various cigarettes that's true actually john player is was cigarettes weren't they yeah and john player league bills world cup as well yeah Yeah. Uh Tokyo Will. Will says, would you rather have a low order that can all bat but that starts at number 6 or high level batters all the way to number 7 but four bowlers that all ought to be number 11s? I So if your lower order the tricky bit about this question for me is I don't mm-hmm. know if the lower order if they can all bat does that mean that they are not all specialist bowlers? Cuz mm. I want four specialist bowlers guaranteed. um in any test match and if i don't have that i would feel much more nervous about that than i ever would about having four number 11s and also how good are those four bowlers who can't bat well, that also yeah. makes a big difference as well like i mean if they're they all average in the mid 30s with the ball and can't bat then you're on shaky ground right so i think that has a lot to do with it and if you remember back in the day when um, you would have associate nations come and play in these icc tournaments a lot of them would be like that uh, i remember mm. even a good team like kenya from 1996 uh the lower order was not not the best but they had enough of uh, bowlers i mean enough bowling in there to do decently enough to get a couple of wins here and there uh but, but you would see that i mean suddenly you'd get into uh, the lower order and they would get blown away i think to an extent australia had that issue in uh, the tests now i mean pat cummins had one one scored in delhi uh, but you know it was once you once india got to that middle order or got past the lower order at one point was averaging 8 or 8 or 7 yeah. the last four batters so uh, that didn't help um, i remember india in 
18-19, going to Perth and picking uh, four fast bowlers, all of whom were not really good with the bat. And that really exposed the tail. So you, I think in modern-day cricket, uh, you do need uh, at least your number eight to average in the mid-20s or early 20s. Otherwise, you are... It, it is a challenge because most other teams will have someone at eight averaging eight and nine averaging in the twenties. That's that's where world cricket has gone. I think it matters now. I think between two thousand two thousand fifteen, when top order batters are all averaging over forty, it probably mm. didn't matter as much. Whereas right exactly. at the moment, with the new ball dominating and with teams struggling, you you do need someone to chip in. You know, Akshar Patel was a perfect example of that. All right, yeah. quick break here. And then afterwards, we will come back and we'll get rid of any super chats that you have. You're listening to Uncover with Jared Kimber and Barrett Sundarison. All right, welcome back. Just a couple of quick ones we, because Barrett um, and I go on and together we go on and there's a lot of questions today. But uh, first question from the audience is just oh. Aditya appreciating your gorgeous hair. Yeah, Aditya seems to have gorgeous hair as well from what I can see. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That might be a proposal. <laughs> um, and Pratik says, is Jared a better batter or bowler? So I was a better bowler. Um, mm. And then I think when I moved to the UK, I I think my batting may be caught up to my bowling. And now, of oh. course, that I've broken my arm in several places, I may never be able to bowl leg spin again. So I'd be surprised if I could be a good bowler ever again. So uh, I suppose late in life, I've changed. But yeah, no, I had a bit of a resurgence uh, with my bat. I just like slogging. And, and mm-hmm. it got to a point where eventually I was like, maybe I'll try batting as well. I'll just I'll, I'll chip them around. But there you go. But we have real questions, uh, not just about hair <laughs> and uh, my technique. Uh, Super Chat from Sydney, who says, if the advantage to batting first is magnified by the fact that more tests get results, would switching to four-day tests <laughs> bring them back into balance? Mm, but is it is it getting magnified, though? I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not on top of the stats when it comes to... Uh, teams winning, uh, yeah. or at least there being more results based on that. Uh, you, you're you're the master of this, Jared. But I haven't looked at that. I I, yeah. I I don't think. I mean, we've started to see teams like England decide to bowl second. So I would have thought mm. that they would be the least likely. Sorry, not bowl second, bat second. Um, yeah. I think they would be the least likely to go against the data um, mm. from from that perspective. Um, but if that's the case, yeah, I I think what Ford. Four-day tests are going to be really interesting. They'll, we'll lose about 50 overs yeah. um, overall. We won't lose all the overs of the extra day because they will fit extras in. Obviously. Um, but what I, what I would say is that there will be a um, – I think there will be more of a first-class vibe. So we will see more artificial games. We will we'll see people more playing for results, especially if the World Test Championship is still going. Um, I would have thought that that is the thing that we are more likely to see in four-day tests. However – if they are four-day tests and they are day-night um, and we have pink balls, um, we probably only need a day and a half for some of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm all for, like, keeping it to, to five days and, you know, give, giving it, it, it a go. You know, I mean, if, yeah, a lot of test matches, like, because that's the most recent tour test series I covered and that's how far my memory goes these days, uh, you know, the first three tests are over, 
in three days, three days, and two days. And then you have the Ahmedabad test, which goes on. I mean, maybe it should have been called on day four. <laughs> it was going nowhere. But, um, you know, it's it's good to have one test. Uh, like, you know, I, I've always said test matches should be played over five days, but finish in four days, you know, so you have the fifth day to do your laundry. That's how I've always looked at it. So uh, That yeah. sounds but, like yeah. someone who um, wants a day off rather than anything to do with cricket, but that wouldn't, that wouldn't be us. Uh, Abhinav says, how is cricket commentary going to evolve in the future? Where are things heading um, same as now? Well, I think we've already seen the first step, which is having the multiple um, streams where yeah. you, you know, uh, it's, Star is it Star or Sony? I always get confused, but they've I gone. I mean, Star away. has the TV rights and Geo has the digital rights. Yeah. But who Star was right. it who had the the thing with Dean Jones and Scott Styers? Oh, that was Star. I mean, they yeah. had the dugout. Yeah, which was so a the, good that, concept. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's the first one. Also, multiple languages is the other one. Oh, um, you know, right that now is, in India, I mean, you have what uh, I think twelve or fourteen languages and. Languages you wouldn't have thought of uh, for cricket broadcasting, like Bhojpuri is doing really well. And I think what's going to happen is for a long period, for the last 15, 20 years around the world, but especially in the subcontinent, the easiest way to get into a commentary box was if you were a former first-class cricketer or definitely if you were a former test cricketer. I think it, it, um, by easy, I don't want to undermine what they're doing, but you had a, you had an in. Right, mm. like it was obviously easier for you to get in if, as compared to say, one of us who hasn't played first class cricket, for example. But I think that will change uh, right now, and uh, and I think. Why do you think that will change? Because I don't see that changing at all. No, it is changing with the IPL because again, going back to it being broadcast in many languages. Ah, the languages thing. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, that's fair. so when you're catering to different. Uh, regions of the country. And I was reading this really interesting interview. I'll send it to you. Uh, Sanjog Gupta has given uh, the boss of Star as you know, the Economic Times, where he talks about that. Like they've tapped into parts of India which were, weren't really into uh, watching the IPL on TV by using local actors uh, or like you know, big cel- non-cricketing celebrities in the area, throw them into the commentary box where people are like, oh, wow, like, you know, this is someone I... Because the, the fandom for cinema or for films is different in different parts of India. Yeah. In the South, it's, I mean, it's a, a proper obsession, right? Whether it's Rajnikanth or uh, whoever, not just Rajnikanth is obviously above everyone else, but even the more modern day actors. Like, I I know young people who, uh, a friend's cousin or someone who came and stayed with us once in Bombay. Like, he was, like, maybe early 20s at that point, he was so obsessed with one, this one particular Telugu actor that he knew everything about him, Jared. So if he did something, this guy would watch it. So I think there are so many different ways of yeah. tapping into uh, the audiences, even in a country like India, where the where you just expect everyone to be a cricket fan. So I think that's going to change over time. I think we're going to have a lot, a lot of um, non non cricket people come into uh, commentary, but that's to do with the IPL. But I think with Test cricket, uh, I don't. But, but I don't know if you know this, but New Zealand mm-hmm. recently had their first Maori broadcast as well. Yes, that's true. Um, yeah, I did, and obviously I did the South about... Africans. Did they do it in four languages? I'm trying yeah, to think. I mean, the Africans, they seem to Costa. add like yeah. I think the, they didn't have Kosa to start with. Thing they added it in the last few years. I've seen some yep. clips on um, on social media uh, or people I know posting yeah. about it. So yeah, that's that's a. That's going to increase uh, a lot. I think. So I think that's one side of it. The other side is we will see more stats-heavy 
kinds of commentary because of fantasy cricketers and betting cricketers and people like yeah, me. Yeah, oh, yes. Oh, that's going to be... So I think what you see on Sky as a third man, we could well see like a... It happens in footy, right? I've always seen it. I mean, not a live commentary, but during every break, uh, they'll break, take a break from the studio and there'll be a guy talking about, yeah. like, I don't know, the bets and what's happening uh, with with, uh, with the sports betting bit. Uh, but another thing that is happening on Star, I don't know whether you've seen it, is it, it's not still yet on live commentary, but they're using holograms. So Steve Smith and Paul Collingwood. Then, yeah. You know the clip that was doing the round of course, Steve Smith uh, looking like he's being held hostage and forced to speak on camera. Mm. So that I, I nobody knew what that was. But I just found out recently, obviously we don't get star here, but they have four or five guys like that. Paul Collingwood, Callis, Steve Smith. Who So while they're, uh, they're doing a pre-match show in the studio, there are holograms of Steve Smith, which is kind of, freaky but like you know i think virtual commentary is going to become a thing as well uh yeah i mean it would also i wouldn't be surprised if we reach a point where they you know suddenly they have uh uh richie benno commentating on a t20 game like you know not richie benno or someone well, you, mimicking him but like yeah some... you can already if you and i don't know if you could do it with someone who's passed but you can certainly already scan your voice um, and have oh. your voice actually um, uh, uh, AI'd in, into yeah, stuff, yes. right? So, yeah. so it's not completely beyond the pale to see random things like that uh, perhaps going ahead. But yeah, I think I think those are the major things that are coming up on on board. But it, you know, if it, I, I think the other thing with that I I hope happens is that we have more professionalism in commentary, so that the commentary teams can actually start to. I think too much in cricket commentary teams don't really think of it as a profession. Yes. It's, you know, it's thought of as an extra job, a supplementary thing. Um, and, you know, just simple things like having meetings with the captain and the coach the day before the game and, and, you know, all the, you know, all those sorts of things that are very, very important do, you know, mm. extra research. And there are some very good researchers who already work for some commentary yeah. teams, but, you know, it's not, it's not part of the whole professional pack. I mean, yeah, you and I yeah. both know this, you know, people sort of, a very, very well-known cricketer, um, when he first started doing commentary, turned to me and, and sort of said, this is easy. I can mm. do this forever. And I was like, well, if it's easy, you're probably not doing it right. Like you should yeah. probably be doing more work than just sitting down and saying something for 20 minutes and then going <laughs> to get the sausage rolls from out the back of the press box. So, yeah, I think that that's the big thing for me is that professional nature. Um, mm. And, Maybe you're right. Maybe with the languages, we'll see a swing back towards non-cricketers. Mm. I think I think cricket broadcasts are at their best when there was a combination of cricketers and non-cricketers. Yes. And, and look, it, it's a tough thing for you and I to say because we're both broadcasters and commentators. Yeah. And so it sounds like we're talking for ourselves. Yeah, um, yeah of course. <laughs> although in, Maybe, in, yeah. in your case, you probably will end up on TV. And in my case, they would never allow it. But, um, mm. uh, you know, and I'm just talking purely sex appeal here. But... Uh, of course, yeah. But but I do think that there is an element there of um of the way that things are going that mm. I think audiences are getting more and more upset with the cliched commentary that mm. sometimes comes across. Yes. Um yeah. but yeah, anyway. Uh Barrett, I will let you go and uh see to your dogs and everything else. Uh thank you for very much for coming on Wagon Wheel. Uh maybe next week you can actually come on to the podcast you're supposed to be on, but no That's hurry, true. you know. Just in your own time, <laughs> what whatever you're doing. 
I have a new setup now, so everything is set up. Uh, so hopefully that means uh, I should be I should be back. You've I can got... see another super chat. Are we supposed to take? Oh, God, like, is, is, is this my job? I don't know. It's not, but I have gone away. Wait, who's the last one? Rick Jake. Rick Jake. Rick Jake says, in the modern era, has there ever been a player so influential and yet so distant from the status of a legend than Ajanta Mendes? Uh, Paul Adams mm. is probably another very, very interesting one. Um, what about Vinod Kambli? Oh, Vinod Kambli is a great one. Yeah. Uh, I think what, but, Adrian but, Barat? Oh, my mate. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, there's a, a few interesting yeah, ones, don't you think? I think with Paul Adams and Kamli, because they still had pretty lengthy international careers in terms of what Vinod Kamli makes his debut in 91, 92 or 92 one day cricket. Uh, and then he played till 2000. So that's a yeah. pretty long yeah, career. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, Paul Adams as well. I think 95 but, but, he makes. But the question here is more, and then influential yes. and yet distant. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So yeah, May, good sense. So good like point. you yeah. wouldn't put Saklane Mushtaq in there because he's not, he's close to a legend status. He's probably not a legend, but he's no, close he's to not. a legend status be. and he, he had a lot be, to yeah. do with it. Yeah. Um, Irfan Patan is another one. I mean, Irfan Patan briefly, like for those three, four years, was like, you know, he, he had a huge influence on Indian cricket. I mean, when he was opening the batting as well. Like, he did, he, was, he did everything. Like, yeah, I mean, in that shortish test career, uh, he swing bowler, he took hat test hat tricks, he opened, he made a test 100. Um, yeah, he did it all. So I think, yeah, Irfan Patan. The influential thing is interesting as well because you, I, I would say that um, I almost said inverarity. I don't mean inverarity, do I? I mean um, uh, Gleason mm, uh, yes, and the guy exactly. before Gleason. Oh, Jack Iverson's the name I'm looking yes, for. Yeah. So Jack Iverson's really interesting. So he's a legitimate um, mystery spinner. But when mm. you say influential, only one guy really copies his method exactly. after that. Um, and the other one is is it Bob Appleyard? Bob Apple, whatever his Appleyard, name is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's another one who was really, really influential. He should have been really, really influential, but no one actually copies them. Yeah. And Mendes is copied slightly more. Um, mm. And so he does have an impact, I think, on modern cricket uh, yes. in a way that those other guys didn't. But a lot of that is just to do with the fact that YouTube exists and That's you true. could see them. True. Like, I think if I think if Iverson was around in the YouTube age, he would have been far more influential. Anyway, let's let's call it there. Let's call it there again. Let's stop this podcast again for the second time. I'm not going to say goodbye to Barra, uh, but I will say goodbye to the audience. Thank you very much to everyone. And uh, I will see you. No, this is my last podcast this week, is it? Uh, I will see you next week. Barra, who knows? You know, he's he's an enigma wrapped in a sausage roll um, and everything <laughs> else. Uh, but thank you very much to everyone. And we'll see you again next time. Thanks for listening to Wagon Wheel. This show has an ad-free version via Patreon, which also allows you to ask questions before anyone else and many other extras as well. There is a link in the show notes. And if you want more content, well, I have good news for you because we have a lot of things. You can follow us on YouTube where we make all kind of crazy stuff like the complete history of New Zealand opening batters and how Kagisa Rabada was dismissed from a zombie ball. We do a similar thing on TikTok. I also have an emailer that sends out a couple of columns a week, and we run another podcast called Double Century on the History of Cricket. This podcast is hosted by me, Jared Kimber. It is produced by Nick McCorriston. We also have a great support team from 42, with Rati Joshi on socials, Orijoti Senapia producing podcasts, 
Akam producing some of the shows and Makunda Banredi as the head of YouTube content. Sports Social Podcast Network.